Hello and welcome. My name is Brent Weaver and this is the Digital Agency Show. The podcast that goes behind the scenes with today's top agencies and entrepreneurs. I am really glad you're here. And once again, it's time to transform your business mindset. Hey, what's up, Agency Owner? If you're new here, I've got a free ebook on how to scale your business to multiple six and even seven figures by overcoming your dependency on referrals, doubling your profit per project, and removing yourself as the main bottleneck in your business. All you have to do is DM me the word gift on Facebook at Brent Weaver. That's facebook.com slash Brent Weaver. And I'll send you your guide on how to achieve freedom in business and life. All right, let's get back to the podcast. Hey, what's up, podcast listeners, digital agency owners. Welcome to another episode of the Digital Agency Show. I'm your host, Brent Weaver. And today we have Douglas Davis joining us. Douglas is a Brooklyn-based strategic solutions and client branding architect. He solves communication problems, is the author of Creative Strategy and the Business of Design. Douglas regularly contributes to the design discourse in the European Business Review, RGD Design Thinkers, One Club Educators Summit. He is an award-winning strategist who also serves as as an advisor to the Poster House Museum, CMYK Council, the Type Directors Club, University of Oregon's Masters in Advertising and Brand Responsibility, and so much more. And I would like to point out too, was recently one of our keynote speakers at U Summit, the U Summit Virtual Intensive. And man, I want to I want to say, Douglas, our community just loved your talk, man. So thank you for for that. And and I feel like yeah. So welcome to the program, man. Thank you, thank you for having me, Grant. I really appreciate it. Yeah. So let's let's talk about strategy in design and how to. Yeah, how this all got started for you? Because I mean, I feel like I just got I got this awesome keynote from you. I got the the tactics, I got the strategies, I got the the frameworks. But uh, what kind of got you started in this path of helping people understand strategy and design more effectively? Well, I personally got here through failing, and I'll sort of let you know by starting from the beginning. You know, I went as far as I can go with my creative education. I went to Hampton University undergraduate and studied graphic design. I went to Pratt Institute and got my first master's there in communications design. And I stumbled into the industry at about 22 um, in uh, the dot-com era. I think it was uh, about 1999. So I'm sort of dating myself. But overall, I went as far as I could go I was able to gain positions of responsibility relatively quickly. Uh, I could write the proposal, build the team. I could do the work, uh, pitch the business. And um, I remember being hired at a uh, digital, uh, at, a, at actually JWT back in the day. Uh, so I'm there, I'm a freelancer. And, you know, that this is kind of the story of, of going from uh, freelancer to ACD in one afternoon. I remember going to work every day, being kind of bored. I knew they didn't need me to set headlines. And so I loved the environment. I loved hanging out with the, the advertising people who I was there with because I was the designer who sort of broke into advertising. And I remember, again, three months of just going to work, having a good time, but not really doing anything that was challenging. And I remember one day this uh, account executive runs into the conference room really flustered and is like, the client wants a website. And I was like, I know how to do that. And suddenly 
the youngest person in the room, everyone's looking at me. And I didn't understand why this was such a thing that would stop time. But, you know, um, about a, what, an hour later, I'm in the uh, president's office with the chief uh, creative officer. And I'm basically running down and explaining how much money we left on the table the last three months that I was there showing up, paying attention, but being really bored. And so from there, I was promoted. But in that position of, you know, doing really well, I suddenly was in a situation where my creative education didn't serve me because I'm now in this room at this table of people who weren't from the creative group. I'm now in this situation where I'm arguing for the best possible creative solution. And I understand that this is the right way to go, but I don't have the vocabulary to actually, you know, argue it. Uh, in in terms of business uh, objectives or marketing strategy. So I lost those battles because I had to fall back on my creative vocabulary because I didn't have the strategic language. And so uh, I remember one day I stumbled into a strategy session. I was like, oh, this is that thing that keeps beating me. I'm going to have to figure out what this is. And so I ended up applying to NYU. Um, I I went for an integrated marketing um, master's there so I could add the the strategic business acumen to what I already had as a creative person. And so that's really how it started, through losing battles. And I think that it's just, this is really the, the transitions that anyone listening who's a creative, you know, that's really what our careers are about, right? We go from freshman to first day on the job, We go from first day on the job to uh, someone who is a little bit more uh, mid-level and maybe I want a promotion because I want some reports and I want more responsibility or I want client-facing time. And once you get into the middle, you sort of move either to a more senior-level role or maybe you even go out on your own. And so I think my story is the story of most creatives who in some ways, get promoted for doing their job well, and they end up in a, in a situation where the creative skills that got you promoted are not the, not the skills that you're going to need to survive. And so creative strategy in the business of design is really all about filling those gaps. And so that's, that's how I got here. Yeah, man. I, you know, what's, what's really interesting about that, I mean, I think, you know, from your story, you were in you know, whether you call it pitch rooms or, uh, or where people were kind of pitching creative or pitching projects. And it sounds like you're around some other, you know, creative directors or kind of senior folks in that space. Like, I think for most small agency owners that, that came in this from a creative standpoint, they don't, I mean, maybe they lose the business, but I feel like the real losing battle is on like the, like almost the pricing side is that because people lack that strategic language or strategic frameworks, they're talking to their clients about, you know, they're talking to them about how many pages your website's going to have. They're talking about, you know, hey, what code stack are we going to use? They're talking about, you know, what kind of template we're going to use or what plugin we're going to use on, on in WordPress, right? But they're not actually talking about the, the business strategy stuff. And, and I think for a lot of agency owners that are that are early stage or even have been doing this for a while, I, I mean, yeah, you might be losing some projects to people that are selling better on strategy, but I think more than anything, you're just losing value, you know, for you and your client. 100%. And it's interesting that you sort of frame it that way because I like to look at it almost as if, 
let's say we need a car, right? And we could go to the Maserati dealership or we could go to the Ford dealership, right? We could get something really small and practical that sort of does the job of moving me from A to B, or we could go to the Maserati dealership. But I think the, the way I like to look at this is in those extremes. If we're going to the Maserati dealership, it's not really about going from A to B. Like that's a part of it, but it's really about your face when I pull up to the stop sign, right? <laughs> we're going to go that's, from A to B looking like, good. Yeah, that's really what it's about <laughs> right? because I'm paying what? Several hundred, you know, like $100,000 more than what I would be paying if it was literally just about going from A to B. Why am I even bringing this up? I'm bringing this up because if we're just talking about how many pages the website is, what is the code stack, all the, the tactical parts of what should be larger strategic decisions, we've already lost. Because you're not being paid for your thinking. You're not being paid for the strategic context that your creative content is going to live in. And I think that if you think about uh, what we end up spending a lot of money for, or a car, right? A car is an emotional purchase. And I think it's important to sort of think about how we go through the purchase process ourselves in the things that we buy the way we justify what we want to spend our money on, because the in, in that scenario, uh, we're putting ourselves in the same sort of situation as the Maserati dealership guy. Like he knows that if you, if you showed up, it's not really about how much it costs. You're not necessarily price sensitive. Somebody's going to pay for it. And you're not thinking about that. You're thinking about yeah. the other things, the, the, the symbols, right? Yeah. You're thinking about, all that, right? So if there's some way that we can sort of put ourselves in that same position where we're the Maserati dealership person and we're speaking to our clients and we understand that, you know what? Yes, I can give you what you need. Not even that. I can give you what you asked me for. But what you asked me for is not always what you needed. Mm. And so if, if we move people from tactical and from price sensitivity to value and at that point, I think when we're talking about value, you have the ability to grow that account and grow that trust by stepping in the shoes of that decision maker or stepping in the shoes of that client and thinking how they think to do what we do. I always try my best to implore creative people to approach their roles as a strategist. If you're a copywriter, I'm talking to you about figuring out how to think through the marketing objectives and the business objectives so that you can come at this from the same way that your partner on the client side or your partner in the agency is going to look at it. They're looking yeah. at the KPIs. They're looking at how they're going to move the needle. If you can think that, think that same way, think how they think to do what we do, if you can step into their shoes and as them really think about what it is that they will be concerned with. Think about if you're in an agency environment, think about how the person who you're partnering with, what is their performance review going to be based on? Those are your KPIs. That's how you make sure you can partner with someone at that point, because at that point you are less of an order taker and you're more of someone who can be a strategic partner. Um, I want to just sort of touch on another thing that I feel like some part of the question was addressing, but not necessarily talking about explicitly. If we're in a situation where we're losing or we're not so confident, 
I think what I want to address is imposter syndrome. Uh, I, you know, some of us have this, but I feel like we have to really uh, retrain the way we listen. And if you think about strategy, it's a set of choices. And, you know, what we're talking about today is really about how to think about those choices instead of listening uh, for what to do. It's more about listening to for, you know, how to turn what you're hearing into a decision-making process. And what do I mean by that? So I mentioned that I started this work in 1999 in the dot-com era. But if you think about this, in 1999, nobody had a web design degree. You couldn't study it. It didn't exist. Nobody wasted time thinking, I don't know what I'm doing. You know, it was a given that everybody was a pioneer and that we spent our time basically focusing on exploring the problems that we were trying to solve and arriving at those solutions. So if you fast forward to now, you know, we're in a we're in this global reset that's due to the pandemic where once again, nobody knows what to do. But we do have a process that leads us to create a business solution. So if you can focus yourself instead on that process, instead of wasting your energy, focusing on the fact that you don't know what to do because nobody knows what to do, right? So if you can choose to shift where your energy is spent, Nobody should be wasting time thinking, I don't know what to do. But what we all have to do, in my opinion, is really think about what hasn't changed. Even though a lot of things have changed, there's some things that haven't changed, which is the thing that hasn't changed is that we are still expected to answer the business problem we've created that's on brand, on brand, on strategy, and on message, preferably on time and under budget. <laughs> I think, you know, if, if some part of this sort of situation that we're all in is sort of making us uncomfortable that... I don't know what I'm doing or, you know, I'm losing on the price conversation or I'm coming in tactical, but they need strategy. You know, nobody knows what to do. There is no pandemic playbook. We're all writing it as we go along. And so if you don't have a precedent to focus on, rely on your process. That's what I would ask anybody listening to think about. And, and I love that, Douglas. I think the idea of uh, of leaning on the process. Like we know our process. We might not know what to do in a pandemic, but we might, we can, we can kind of fall back and say, well, at least I have my process in place. So, so one thing that I hear from people and, and this, this kind of came out of, out of what you were just talking about of, you know, I mean, obviously to approach projects as a strategist, to approach whether you're a team member, copywriter, designer, developer, to be thinking in, in as a strategist throughout the, your role with the, the company, to me, feels like a good thing. And also for agencies to position themselves as strategists within their clients so that they're able to sell and pitch on value. The the thought that I hear often, and I don't know, it kind of, it takes me back to like, like this, like maybe it was it, like early dating, right? When, when people talk about getting caught in the friend zone. Right. And I hear this from agency owners where they, maybe they start with strategy or maybe they don't, right? Maybe the client comes to them and they, they just need a fix, right? They're like, they've got a bleeding neck problem and they're like, Hey, we just need this thing. And it's like, yeah, yeah cool. We'll do this thing. Right. But then they, they get caught in the friend zone or the tactic zone, maybe right. Where the client doesn't see them as a strategist. Or maybe doesn't see them as a strategist after they've done their, maybe they do their initial discovery and the client's like, hey, wow, you guys are so great at strategy. And then they launch the website, they launch the brand, they launch the whatever. And then I, I hear this so often, the agency owners come back to the client saying, hey, let's now do the next strategy kind of thing. Let's re-engage in strategy. And the clients kind of say, well, yeah, but we already did that, right? Or they start to like, 
look at the agency more as a as a production company, not so much as a strategy company. So any any insights or 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 approaches to how to stay away from being in the maybe the tactic zone, the friend zone, if you will, or if you if you do find yourself caught in the friend zone, how do you get out of it? How do you reestablish your position with a client or team as a strategist? This is a wonderful question, and it's funny because I usually hear the opposite. I usually hear that you know you've sort of worked these miracles, and the client is is used to looking at you for the solution, and so they think, well, you obviously know strategy because every single time I come to you, you're you know you're hitting it out of the park, and so as a result, you know we we're going to ask you for strategy mm. because. Obviously, you know strategy, and then you sort of caught off guard at that point. But the opposite way is really interesting. I think that uh, my first answer is going to focus on the fact that we are not in control of that. I always I love to tell my clients that I, as the expert, will be making recommendations, but you, as the client, will be making the decisions. And there's nothing that I can do to uh, uh, make you make a decision that would be the one that I want you to make. And so I always keep that in my mind because, you know, we can oftentimes feel so passionate and believe that we're right and that, you know, the client needs to listen to us or they're stupid because they should be listening to us, right? I don't tell my uh, open, I don't tell my my brain surgeon how to do his job, right? I don't tell my plumber how to do his job, right? So I think it's just really important to just remember that if this is long game, if this is relationship management, that there's nothing you can do to make your client make the right decision. And that at different points, whether this is child rearing or or what, you know, I feel like this applies to my son. There's nothing I can do to make him do. (laughs) I was was going to say that. I know, I know we've had some, we've had some calls, the two of us where you obviously got kids around and and, and it feels a little bit like a parenting move here. Where you you you're more influenced. Well, I, I you know, and not to take. I mean, every analogy falls starts falling apart. But I also think that maybe earlier on in a client's digital space, there's probably more opportunities as an agency owner to kind of be like, hey, like I'm, I'm imagining a client that maybe they don't have a sophisticated Facebook ad strategy yet, right? I mean, at that point, you can. I think as the agency, you can say, hey, guy, like I know how to do this, right? I mean, it's kind of like when your kids are like four years old or whatever, you can be like, hey, this is this is how we cross streets, right? There's not a lot of choice in the matter, right? But obviously when they're 14 and you're not there watching them cross every street, you know, me being very, you know, command and control about it is not super useful, right? Right. Hey, what's up, agency owners? I want to tell you about one of my favorite white label partners, E2M. They can help with all your website design, web development, SEO, and content needs for your client projects. This includes WordPress, WooCommerce, Shopify, BigCommerce, Webflow, Duda, SiteGlide, custom PHP applications, and much more. Have peace of mind when it comes to your outsourcing needs. Let E2M become an extension of your team so you can grow and scale how you want. Check them out today at e2msolutions.com. That's E, the number two, M, solutions.com. All right, back to our show. I like that idea of at some point with more sophisticated clients or clients that un, that have their own, whether it's marketing or branding or other, you know, CMO internally, that you should start to shift your mindset to like, if I'm I'm a strategist in this relationship, but I'm providing you recommendations, and at the end of the day, your job as a client is to make a decision. And, and you know what, Douglas, right. when I'm thinking about 
you know, design decisions, like which logo are we going to go with, which website comp, which ad copy. I mean, I think even setting expectations with our clients that they are decision makers in this process is probably a really good frame from the start of the relationship to say, look, we're going to be making some recommendations throughout the process, but at the end of the day, we do need you to make decisions. And I know that a lot of agencies struggle with clients dragging their feet on decisions. Like I can't, you know, they say, oh yeah, we'll get back to you in two days for a logo. And but before you know it, it's like two months and they're still like, you know, gnawing away at it. Well, it's our job to lead the client. So I'll say that first, right? It's our job to lead the client, which would mean that if they come to us with a problem and they've sort of framed the problem in a way that is not current, it's our job to recognize that things have shifted and therefore have the difficult conversation that says what you came to me with is actually not your problem. This is your problem. So mm-hmm. I think it's very important for us to remind ourselves that, yes, we're making the recommendations and they're going to make the decisions, um, but we're also tasked with being honest and, and sort of showing up. And regardless of what it's obviously respectfully, but regardless of what it means for the rest of the relationship, I think you're in a better position if you will challenge the client on what they think. And a couple more thoughts on, you know, not really being seen as the strategist, uh, you know, after a project or two. Yeah. It's important to think through the opportunities that you do have in the room. You know, I like to say a lot that we have to retrain the way we listen and that it can't just be that we hear the tactical parts of what should be larger strategic decisions. We have to think, well, they're coming to me for this, but what they really need is brand differentiation. They're coming to me with this tactic. But what they really need is to move the needle on that, right? So we have to sort of translate what the request is, and that needs to be something that's important to us. But I think overall, we have to see the environment for change. You know, you have to listen for what the opportunities are. And then one of the tactics that I've liked to use uh, over the years is, especially whenever you're working with people who can be a bit touchy about what the investment has been in, in their own uh, company. And so maybe they put a lot of their own money in, they started really small, they were able to grow. But in order to get to that next tier, they need someone like you, which is why they seek you out. And yet, sometimes you can realize that they don't really want something new or they're afraid to choose something else um, in the rounds, right? I think one tactic that I've, I've used in the past has been to take them through a case study for a very well-known brand that has been really clearly refreshed. So sort of like a before and after thing, right? Defining what the problem is, taking them through maybe even the hierarchy of the brand itself. Uh, I do this with Microsoft. Uh, If you remember, and I'm going to date myself, but back in the day, MSN was in that little orange oval and it was knocked out in that oval. And then it was, you know, it's global. So they had the different uh, URLs that were dot France or dot Germany or wherever. When you looked at it, it was all over the place. And so I then showed the, the strategy breakdown for how uh, the brand was moved to more that butterfly. And again, I'm, I'm, I'm trying to use an example that, that people might recognize. But from going from one to the other, there were many uh, iterations of the logo itself. And they cleaned up the strategic, the global hierarchy of the websites. Now, if you can show a case study and talk someone through the actual problem over there, 
over there. We're all looking over there at Microsoft and saying, well, of course, this, this is a mess, isn't it? Like, and everybody can agree, yeah, that's pretty bad, right? Oh, yeah, that's all over the place. Yeah, it's all over the place. Once we can agree over there what the problem is, you then turn that to them. We've already agreed. You've shown them clearly on something that they have no emotional attachment to, but that they're familiar with, right? Once we can agree somewhere, turn that to them. Mm. The conversation at that point is now how we need to do what we just saw, how we need to solve what we just saw. You can disarm them by making sure that you're not criti- you know, walking into the room and sort of offering a constructive criticism on what they need to be doing right now because these are all the things that are wrong. That's how they're going to hear it, no matter how you tiptoe, right? But if we can agree on a case study over there, you can seed the environment for change. You raise the cost on inaction by, by showing them over there. This is what the problem is. And once everybody can agree, move that conversation to what the problem is in the room. At that point, I believe that what you're doing, and even if you don't leave that room with the business or the strategy part of the business, what you're doing, though, is you're, you've just seeded the environment for change. You've just raised the price on inaction. You've mm. just talked them through how the environment has shifted as a result of COVID or the pivot, that the global pivot everybody has to go through right now. And it may not be next week. It may not be next month. But what you've done is you've laid the groundwork to open up that conversation, especially if you're just being thrown the tactical parts. And you've sort of allowed yourself the in to continue with, here's what we can do. Here's what we think your issue is. Some part of that issue happens to be tactical, but the larger part of your competitive strategy that's not there or that needs work or there's a new entrant or whatever the business problem is, I think you can talk them through how the strategic thinking, the strategic context that you're going to then provide the creative content for is going to solve their larger problem. And then I'll sort of stop this answer by saying the next thing that I love to do, and I write about it in the book, uh, which is scenario analysis. We're not, we're, we're long past offering a red, green, and a blue option. We really do need to be understanding the basis of competition and all the different points that the people who we're serving are competing on, right? You can have, and I gave this example, it's the easy, easy example. You can have the, the best pizza in town in the longest wait times, right? So as a result, you're going to need to think about taste. That's the basis of competition. Your three top three competitors on taste are different and they might not even be all in pizza, right? So service, you're obviously lagging behind everyone else, right? So your top three competitors in service is a completely different group. And again, it might not just be in your category. You know, the point is that we shouldn't be offering red, green, and blue options to our client. That's not really strategy. That's just red, green, and blue. But if you're actually offering recommendations, you should be offering a rhombus recommendation, a rainbow, and a rhinoceros recommendation, meaning that if we're specifically focused on a brand preference argument in the 
the basis of competition that has to do with service or experience, this these are the this is the recommendation that I recommend that you go with in order to hit that particular objective. If we're talking about the experience option, then this is the recommendation that I believe that we should go with, right? So what you're doing is you're stabbing in all of the different things that they need. It's not just like what they're asking you for. You're leading the client. You're talking them through the fact that you understand what's going on in the category. You get the dynamics that they're actually existing in. And because of that, you're talking them through all the different basis of competition. So if their objective is to become number two and they're number three, that's possible, right? That's possible. We can move and grab that market share. We can get, but on what basis of competition, right? Mm. But again, if you're stepping into the shoes of a business or a marketing objective or a stra- uh, uh, you know, counterpart or, or a strategist role, you can have that conversation. Even if you've sort of come into the relationship as, as someone who you know, was providing tactics, because you actually are approaching it as a strategic partner, you're not an order taker at that point. And so leading yeah. the environment for change, making sure that you're pointing them from a case study very clearly what the issue is, point that to them, and then offer recommendations that are not just red, green, and blue. Offer real recommendations that show the way you twist the Rubik's Cube because there is no one right answer. There's just your right answer and why you think it's right. And mm. so at the end of the day, the way we twist the Rubik's Cube is why our clients hire us in the first place because everybody has an opinion, but our clients hire us for our analysis. So grow that account by selling and showcasing the way that you think. And that's really, again, what creative strategy in the business of design is about, but it's also what my own career arc, the story that I told you at the very beginning of how I even got here, it was about like filling in these gaps. How is it that the way we're taught to become professionals who are on the same team servicing this client didn't even teach us to talk to each other? What is that? (laughs) That's the craziest thing I've ever heard of. And so like, how do we plug that gap? How do we arrive in that room concerned with things that are outside of the creative department. And, you know, I'll give you this last piece because in my head, you know, leading is not just a verb. It's a posture now. Mm. What The way I see it personally, yes, we're supposed to lead a client. It's a verb, it's an action, but it's also a posture. And leadership is way more than management. And I think a lot of brands are finding this out right now because they're trying to throw the same thinking that got them through the last years at this new problem that no one has ever seen before. And that's not going to work. And so I feel like, you know, now that we're having this conversation about creative leadership, it's, it's a real expectation that I personally believe that we have to grow our conversation to be concerned with things outside of the creative group, like operations, like forecasting, like new systems design, like, you know, all those things that would decision-making that would help us to be better people who recommend things to our clients because we understand the implications of the things that we're recommending in the first place. It's not just make it pretty. It's about thinking through how do we offer creative business solutions? And so that's what I'm all about. Well, Douglas, this has been uh, a fantastic conversation. I'm inspired, man. I got some notes. I got some, I got a couple of post-it notes that I'm going to be passing on to some members and customers where we were just having this conversation. So it's, it's highly relevant. Uh, dude, you got time to stick around for another minute for our lightning round? 
I have one minute. Yes. All right. We will go. We will go hyper lightning round. What's the best advice you've ever received? The best advice I've ever received is to be who you are. I don't know how to be like anyone else. And I think that as creative people, we have to sort of remember that. So be who you are. I tried to be like everybody else for 15 minutes when I was 15 years old, and it was 15 minutes too long. <laughs> Personal habits that's contributed most to your success. Oh, my goodness. Um, making sure that I use all the time that I have before I walk into the room. I remember uh, being in high school and not studying for the pop quiz and knowing that for a 50-minute time period that I am slow motion speeding towards a brick wall and I am going <laughs> to speed it. Because if someone put a gun to my head to ask me to save my own life, I could not do it because I did not study. So mm. what did that do? That forced me to make sure that every second that I have before it's time to walk into that room to pitch or to do whatever it is, I'm going to use it. Yep. Can you share an internet resource, a tool, or app that you think our listeners would find valuable? Oh, man. Mintel. 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 The, the marketing, um, you, you probably heard of it, but uh, M-I-N-T-E-L, it's a marketing insights sort of research place to go to. But I would also add to that the SEC website, uh, the Security and Exchange Commission website. If you're working with brands that are public brands, every quarter they have to file a 10K statement. In that 10K statement is a section called risk. They tell you everything that they're scared of. They tell you what they're watching out for. It is the absolute best place that I like to look to put insights and research into the second column of the creative strategy framework, which is the facts on the brand product or service. And what book could you recommend to our listeners besides your own? <laughs> besides my own, uh, I would recommend um, Miss Remarkable and Her Career. I don't know the author's name offhand because I always lend out my copy and I have to buy another one. Miss <laughs> Remarkable in her career. <laughs> well, we will get Miss Remarkable in her career linked up in our show notes. So listeners, if you're out on the road, if you're on a bike ride like me or running and you didn't have time to write that down, check it out, yougurus.com slash podcast. And we'll link out to the, the resources from today. Uh, I'm Intel, SEC website. Douglas, how can folks find out more about you? Is there anything that you have that they can check out? Yeah, they can check out thinkhowtheythink.com. You can go to my website, which that Think How They Think URL redirects to, douglasdavis.com. Uh, if you're on Twitter, I'm at Douglas Q. Davis. If you are on Facebook, I am Professor Davis. If you're on IG, I am D-Q-U-E-J-U-A-N. And yeah, I hope that you reach out. And for those of you that are trying to write all these on your hand as you're walking around and, and trying to remember <laughs> it for later, just go to yougurus.com slash podcast. You'll see Douglas's picture there at the top for week of. Click on him and we'll link out to all of his social media pro profiles. Thinkhowtheythink.com as well as his main website and his book as well, which is, uh, is excellent. And many of our members have touted the awesomeness of it. Dude, thank you so much for stopping by the program today. Thank you for having me, Brent. Be safe, everybody. Merry Christmas. Happy New Year. Happy holidays. Happy Hanukkah. Happy Kwanzaa. Happy all of it. Have a good time with your family. Please stay safe. Peace. And that's it for this week's episode of the Digital Agency Show. Stay tuned each and every week for more great content coming to you to help you grow your digital agency so you can achieve freedom in business and life. Until next time, I'm Brent Weaver. 
I hope you enjoyed today's episode. And remember, if you want that free ebook on how to scale to multiple six and seven figures, all you got to do is DM me on Facebook, the word gift at Brent Weaver, and I'll send you your guide on how to achieve freedom in your business and life. Until next time, I'm Brent Weaver. 